better than the universe. What's that? When people say stuff like that, all oh, oh, you mean just it's bad karma? Yeah. There's an old saying: "Don't tempt the hand of fate." Yeah. yeah there you go. Exactly. And my balls with the fate. <laughs> I used to right? say. Right. Yep. What are you drinking? Uh, vodka with a little bit of uh, club soda. Oh, look at you showing off. What do you got? It's got to be coffee or water or Diet Coke. I Mark, get drunk about Mark, once a year. Gonna, Mark, in a few seconds, we're going to be going live. I'll, I'll tell you. It's, All right, man. It's, it's downloading. <clears throat> I'm ready to rock and roll. We are rock and roll and we are live. What's up, everybody? Hey, man. Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff. After hours, my name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host, my partner, my co-host in all things law enforcement, the very handsome Bill Cannon is with us. What's up, Bill? How's it going, man? Looking forward to this show. You know, always with another member of the service, even though it was a long time ago, I think he was a member of the service. Well, I'm going to- It was. Our, our guest tonight, and let me tell you how excited I am. Yeah, I, I can't, I'm so, so excited. All right, first of all, um, our guest, John DeResta, was a New York City NYPD transit cop. He worked uh, in the homeless outre uh, outreach uh, program there that recently <laughs> got defunded. Uh, I saw that. I follow everything. I did see that. He started doing stand-up comedy while on the job. Uh, he wrote a one-man show that he turned into a sitcom on the UPN channel in 1988 and 1999. He went out to star in the Miss Congeniality 1 and 2. He was also on the sitcom on CBS, Rules of Engagement. Then he had his own uh, show called Trash for Cash. Um, basically, what, what, what you guys did was uh, you got, I, I read that you got huge numbers in the hoarder community. <laughs> and then you had a show on HGTV called right. Hammered with John, where you put your brother uh, Jimmy on. Right. That was in 2006. You also had a parody show. Um, about a biker shop on Comedy Central called American Body, and uh, <laughs> American Body Shop, greatest gig ever. To uh, top it all off, Bill, he's a master carpenter. He's a woodworker. He makes a, a beautiful stuff. I saw uh, that. That's that's pretty amazing. And it's has an the... honor. It's an honor to have you on here tonight, John. Thank you. That's some introduction, man. No, what did you, oh, you, oh. I'm showing his woodworking skills. Okay, go ahead. Here we go. He's we stepping go. all over the opening of the show. <laughs> What's up? What's up? Is. Oh, there I am, dude. Look at that. I'm in my underwears. <laughs> yeah, that's my old. That's my old workshop. It's on the. Watch this. It's on the grounds okay. of a place that rents cars to the movie. So in the background, you'd see cars from uh, Animal House. Funnest, refreshing woodworking show on youtube basic basic stuff to teach <laughs> Eatons and the terry downings of the world how to build stuff <laughs> today i'm making legs for homemade chairs chairs that i make they're funky we're only going to make the leg today nice and simple this is redwood that i found in the street because i'm a all right i'm a mutt that picks stuff up in the street and then turns it into funky pink table legs. And if you guys want, you can see the dildo 
for a hit. <laughs> Dude, I'm a mutt. All right. What's the name of the show? Feedback? Into a chair. All right. How, how long did you have to watch the whole thing? Long? How long did that show last? <laughs> He's funny. We got to watch the whole thing. Now, watch this. Hold on. No, I got to dice all this up. There's a lot of info. Out of everything I've ever done, and not to drop names, because Michael Caine told me it was rude, but I'm in the movies with Robert De Niro, Sandra Bullock, um, and you show me on a YouTube show, basically looks like I'm a homeless guy in his underwears. That's the one you choose. There was other clips that could have made me look better. That wasn't even one of my shows, but however... Trash to Cash lasted seven episodes. The sitcom lasted 17 episodes, became the lowest rated sitcom in the history of TV. Um, <laughs> well, hammered. Goodness, ha the, the, go the, ahead. That was the brand new network, UPN. And, um, you know, the background, you were a transit cop. Right. Yeah? And that was the, that's what your one man show was based on. Your time right being a transit cop in the subway of new york our motto you ride we hide <laughs> i love that <laughs> which is your famous famous line um that 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 one man show you transformed you you started pitching it as a sitcom and right. uh, it got picked up by upn but they didn't put the money into to the background of it. I remember watching it. It almost looked like a, like a cardboard cutout. It looked uh, there was a lot of problems. It was the all black network for years and did okay. And the year that I got involved, it became the everything network, and it lost half of what they had, and they were already in last place. Um, and I don't you skipped the beat. My deal was with Disney and ABC. And I get off the airplane after I quit a job that had a pension, a gun, a police ID. It had a lot of clout. I had friends. I quit all that. I get off the plane with my three little kids and my wife. And I get a phone call that says, your project has been sold from ABC and Disney to UPN. And I was like, I, you know, I couldn't even say no. You know what I mean? You, at that stage, you have no right. And I knew UPN, especially in New York, it showed on Channel 9, right after Bowling for Dollars and the Uncle Floyd show. In my balls with Channel 9. Well, <laughs> you know, the, the, the messed up thing about all of it was that you retired, you did 15 years. No, I did 12, dude. I lost everything. Oh, I yeah, lost yeah. it all. <laughs> well, the, okay, so you did, you did the... I thought you did 15, no, but there back was, then you had to do 15 to vest. No, no, no. Back you then you had to do the whole vest. 20. No, no. Watch this. Look at all of us. Watch. This is the way I remember it because it cost me a lot of money. Um, I had a big TV deal. I was done. I was out. I resigned May, uh, March of 98. And you had to have 15 years. I had 12. I'm not joking. I resigned before I moved to L.A. About five to six weeks later. They rolled it back to five years. Had I known that, I'd be collecting some sort of pension right now, you know, from the NYPD. Right. But they you changed it right after I left. I got yeah, two fingers in the rectum. Two <laughs> fingers in the rectum. Who can who can blame you for that? Because the truth is, you know, you were getting you were getting on TV. You were going to have your own show. No, understood. And I didn't like being a cop. I look back and I miss it. And I like the guys I worked with. I miss having friends and miss having like a really intimate group of guys that you're stuck with every night. 
that have inside jokes. Um, but yeah, I had to take the leap. I mean, I got into stand-up comedy, you know, I didn't do it for all the beer you can drink, you know, up in the Bronx, you know what I mean? On city Island. Well, let's go back for, for, for a second there. Um, so you, when you came on, what year did you come on? I should have been hired in January of 86, but I was suspended from New Paltz College for squirting a fire extinguisher years before. So they had to get a letter from New Paltz to say I was an okay guy. That letter came in June. I got hired July 15th, 1986. I waited online at 360 Broadway, wherever it was, and every guy in front of me got NYPD, the rest of, eh, you got to go to the third floor. And that was it. That was the curse of death. Right. I got off the elevator and a guy was smoking a big cigarette, eight, eight inches long, the brown ones, like Kojak. <laughs> and What's your name? I said, the rest of dangerous. And this is, you got your assignment that day on a Friday and you had a, you started Monday and a guy looked down at a piece of paper. He said, Duresta, welcome to the New York city transit police. Take a seat or sign that paper and leave like everybody else does. What was the, what was the paper that you were supposed to sign that you're going to wait? I don't know. I don't know. But like I said, had I gone on in January, things might've been different. The, the, I sat down, it was me and one other guy. And I looked at the guy, I go, dude, what's going on? This doesn't sound good. And he just goes, my brother's transit. It ain't so bad. That was the first way I got introduced to it. Well, that, that paper that you might, that you might've signed would have been uh, to put you back on the list. Right. Again, that's funny that you asked that. I don't know that. I don't know if it was to, to leave forever or, you know, so I became a transit cop in July 15th of 1986. So you were from Long Island though, right? I was born, I just realized this a week ago. I was born in Queens. So I'm a real New Yorker. I'm legit. Like you guys, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. But I grew up in Long Island. My dad moved one mile. We're the first town in Long Island, Woodmere. The five towns, you guys know it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bucks. Heavy duty, um, heavy duty Jewish area. Yep. Yeah. yeah, remember in, uh, what was the Goodfellas? She's a Jew broad from the five towns. What did you, yes. what did you know about the New York City transit system? Nothing. You know what you did when you grew up in Long Island? <laughs> you got drunk on St. Patrick's Day. You got drunk and go to see Van Halen. You got drunk to go see Ozzy, Twisted Sister, Iron yeah, Maiden. At the Garden. You didn't even take the subway. You took the Long Island Railroad. And you got off, right went to your event, and went home. I knew so, nothing about the subway. Upstairs, then you go downstairs, and you go. You didn't see nothing of the city. Nothing. I never. I don't think I was ever. If I was on a subway before I became a transit cop, it was once, and I don't even recall it. So how did um, feel? It was a heartbreak. It's like getting a sitcom with ABC and Disney, and they send you to UPN. Your whole it was, thing was like that. Dude, it was it was such a hot. My whole life has been like that. It's funny, fifty times over. Um, and uh, I'll tell you briefly. So uh, July fifteenth, and we start on Monday. We get there Monday, and there's. Uh, when did you come on, Mark? Ninety two. Oh, okay. So there's fifty three guys in our company, and five of us were transit. And I you sat down next. Academy. What's that? Twentieth Street. Where? 20th Street, no jacket, no hat. You wore your own civilian outerwear. Oh my we were the last class that didn't have that stupid-ass Nathan's White Castle hat. Going overseas Did you get a hat, chance to mingle with the real cops? Um, well, yeah. Again, we in my company, 
was 53 guys and five of us were transit. So okay. we were already like, they might as well have put us up against the wall the first day and like, um, and thrown stuff at us. That's what we were treated like from day one. I remember there was always a time when we were learning something in the academy and they were like, well, you guys are transit. You don't really need to know this. Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys, yeah. Even the first day a guy comes in, you guys went for the greatest career of your life, exciting. You're gonna be the, the life of the party. You get to carry a gun, you get war stories. And someone goes, Eskenazi goes, uh, what about what transit? And the guy's like, Ah, I my brother in law, he had he quit and he sucked it. Yeah, I don't know. The transit. <laughs> you know, they didn't even transit for people that are in other parts of the country don't understand but one of the dangerous things about being a transit cop is a you work alone b you inhale that steel dust for 20 years which is horrible for your lungs that's another thing where guys in transit have an extra danger that you know people cops on the street don't have but working alone is pretty dangerous and that's and ready for this when ready for this we hide right you ride we hide but watch this how about the fact that you can get involved in something and your radio doesn't work at all? That's How about you get involved in something and you don't even know your location? You're from Long Island. The last time you were on the New York City subway, you were urinating in your pants at the age of 15 because it was St. Patrick's Day. Now you're in a fight, an armed or a shootout or in a wrestling match on a moving subway train, and you have no idea the next stop to call for help because you have two days on the job. Or... You're on a run from Howard Beach to Rockaway. That's 13 minutes, no help. Or 59th Street, a Columbus Circle to 125th Street. Eight or 10 minutes with no help. It sucked, and it smelled like piss. Hey, t- tell me, the, the, <laughs> the joke, what's the joke? I'm going to go stand over here in the corner? Oh, yeah. I, 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 I'm out here in L.A. Every now and then I'll go on an audition. And at least this is a long time ago. It's 22 years since I left. But a lot of, especially... um. You know, they'll read your bio and they're like, oh, you're the guy that was a cop in the subway, the transit guy. What was that like? That's You must have it's been great experience, like life experience to work in the subway. What was that like? And I go, you want to know what it's like to be a New York City transit cop? Go out in your garage in the hottest day of August, piss in the corner <laughs> and then stand in the puddle for nine hours and 35 minutes alone. With a radio that might work if you're standing in the right spot. My first call as a New York City transit cop was a guy having an epileptic fit in Coney Island. I went over the radio. It didn't work at all. It didn't work. I had to leave his side, go to a payphone and dial 911 with the whole crowd looking at me. And I'm yelling because I'm thinking the guy's dying. You ever see that, you know, epileptic fit? They're not fun to watch. I call 911. Yeah, it's Coney Island. The rest of the radio is like, yeah, I need help. I go back. The guy's standing up laughing with everyone brushing his coat off. He came out of the thing and like nothing happened. And I'm sitting there with my, like, you know, who's the asshole now? I'm running around like a chicken with his. That was the first night. And I said to myself, this sucks. And I don't want to do it ever. I don't want to do this for another day. So what did I do? I took the test again. Medical, physical, psychological. They look at my asshole. They look at my balls. Skippy makes fun of my genitals. Oh, you met Skippy. I love See, it. Uh, you, he's my idol. I won New York's Funniest Cop for real, legit, the first yeah. time they had it. I don't know where Mark was at the time. Yeah. But 
Skippy was New York's funniest cop. Tell, tell I give it up to audience, him. Tell our audience who Skippy was. Mark, did you experience Skippy? Mark came on too late. He didn't meet. Oh no, I remember Skippy. He was at the. Uh, what? The yeah, watch this. If if he said if he said he came on too late and didn't know Skippy, I was going to shut my computer right now and quit your show. Uh, he was at Left Rack. Yeah, I remember him. So Skippy was this all-time New York City detective that got shot in the head. He had the bullet on his keychain. And since he had to deal with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of douchebag cops <laughs> and wannabe cops, the toughest New York guys, the black, Puerto Rican, Jewish, Hispanic, Italian, and he put every single last one of them in their place. He was Dice Clay meets Howard Stern meets Don Rickles. He was the fucking man. And he had a gold shield and his little revolver was so old, it was fused to his holster. You could see it hadn't come out of the holster in like 39 years. It looked like it was just one piece of bird shit that weighed like four pounds. He couldn't. <laughs> and he chain smoked luckies and he drank. He like chain smoked coffee. And he would flick the ash on the laugh roll. He was the king. He was the absolute king. So when I came back through, you guys don't know, I went back through with my gun, my shield, my shoulder holster. I'm walking around like I'm John Wayne and there's 90 civilians going, he's on the job. What's it like? I had one year on the job transit. I went from Columbus Circle for six months, ride the train eight at night to four in the morning. I said, forget this. At least I want a better commute. And I want to go to a place where it's known that no one does police work. District 34, Coney Island called the Magic Kingdom, the greatest command ever, ever, ever. We, when the shit hit the fan, guys did what they had to do. But until that happened, it was sleep, cruise time, ride the, ride the rides at Coney Island. Um, so watch this. Hold on. I had one year on and I'm, I'm, I'm peacocking with the gun and badge. And Skippy goes, look at this guy. Someone said, hey, how long do you have to keep the weight off? How long is probation? And Skippy goes, I'll show you. Transit, stand up. Stand up. I stood up. I got the gun and the badge. He goes, this is what happens when you eat your way through all five boroughs. When you're on your hands and knees like a mule, eating your way all the way to the end of Staten Island. That's what happens. And combine it with free food. He ain't passing nothing if he's trying to switch over. It was hysterical. You know, I, I was sitting in the room and all the new recruits are coming in and this female cop or recruit comes in and she's dressed to the nines and she's beautiful. And he smokes. He goes, hey, doll, the beauty school is down the block. This is the police department. <laughs> you know what he said? He said something to a girl. He said, every one of you is go to co community college from East Cupcake. If you guys remember, that was what he was one of the East Cupcake guys. Yeah. I had to have a 70 pound pack on my back. You had to have military. He, he goes, uh, none of you is even in the military. And some girl must have put her hand up in the front. And he goes, what branch of military? She goes, I'm in the you know, National Guard. He goes, you're a weekend warrior, sister. You're a weekend warrior. And I don't know what she did. And he goes, don't look at me like that. It hasn't worked in 15 years. <laughs> like she tried to flash him the, the flashy eyes or something. He's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, how about this one? A friend of mine went. He didn't get hired, but he went and he said, everybody, I'm warning you now in 15 minutes, everyone's going to have to get naked. And we got to look at your rectum and your genitals. 
And if you don't like being naked in front of 50 complete strangers, start getting psyched. <laughs> Could you imagine him trying to be on the job now? They would fire him. Oh, it's a different world. Well, watch this. I want to do the movie about him. I want to play him in a movie. And the, the, the language and the material, they might not even let you do it. Yeah. Hey, I, I have a nicer story about Skippy. I, I lived in L.A. I went back to do Governor's Comedy Club in Long Island in Levittown, the White Harlem. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from I'll talk slow. <laughs> no, so after one of my shows, I was in like the bar at Governor's. And everyone's like, oh, funny show. You know, one of those, you know, I went to high school with you. Nice, fun atmosphere. And a woman tugs on my shirt and whispers in my ear, do you know who I am? I go, no. She goes, Detective Rafferty was my father, and he would be proud of you. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Yep. That's amazing. That's a great story. So, hold on. Guess what happened? I passed the medical, physical, psych, everything. I'm supposed to go. Now, this is a true story. For the first time ever, someone said, hey, if they're transit or housing, let them roll over. Let them roll over. Don't make them, you know, just if they get transit again, give them and give them what they want. The night before I'm supposed to go, I empty out my locker, all my buddies, you know, friendly in Coney Island. I'm going to be a patch master. I'm going over to Big Brother. That's what we called you guys. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm going to be Big Brother. The night before, not so quick, the rest of your day off tomorrow has been yanked. You're on call for a, a court date. I go, you got to be, and I've never ne never arrested anyone in the full year, never even arrested. I go, what do you mean? They go, a, got, a cop named Eden Natoli. Arrested a bum when you still worked in Manhattan. You were the witness officer or something. And I had to be on call to go to in case they call me to this trial. And I missed my assignment day. I had to take my stuff, go back to my locker, go back to Coney Island and wait six months. I had to remain on the job, still oh, transit six months. The day came. I emptied my locker. Ba -ba -ba -ba, going to be big brother. I get online, Duresta, you got to go to the third floor, gay. Dude, I got transit again, and I started to cry, and I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Didn't they pass some rule that if you get transit, you're automatically NYPD? I was like, I remembered. Guess what the guy said? Your union fought that. That was only on last six months ago. I would have got, my whole life would have been different. Oh. I got transit a second time. Had to go back to work and get a locker in Coney Island. And that's, I just said, forget it. I'm not trying to switch. Well, you said something interesting right there. You said your whole life would have been different. And that 100%. is. A hundred percent. Well, but not for the better. Well, no, I know that. Watch this. I met my wife through a different transit cop. I became a comedian because I was so miserable. Had I gotten NYPD, the stage fright, because I always wanted to be a comedian. But the stage fright got me bad. It got me really bad. I introduced a band in high school called Moist Sheep. And there was about 200 people. This is my first time on stage. I wore my dad's suit with the white belt and the white crack shoes. I introduced this band as I was introducing them. Out of the darkness, I got hit with a Frisbee 
right on the bridge of the nose and I saw black and stars in front of the whole crowd. And I think that that might have been deep inside me. That and a combination of if you bomb and don't get laughs, you know, who needs that hassle? But I, I was so miserable as a transit cop, I had to become a comedian. Go ahead. Well, I'm saying if I got NYPD, I might have gone to a Harley Davidson unit, you know, something did something I liked as a cop. And I would have been like, oh, I can't be a comedian. I'm too much into this. So I want a gold shield. You know what I mean? You might have dabbled in it. But at that point right now, when you were a transit cop, you realized I don't want to do this. I got to do something else. Yeah. There was one point where I just said, forget this. I'm going to look for a way out. And it just kept coming up. That comedy was not only a relief because as a cop, I didn't, I had two or three young kids. I got married very quickly. Then I couldn't quit. I can't drink. I get gout. I used to get gout. You ever get gout? Like a white trash animal, your toe swells up. I've had it, but not. I I know. I used to get gout a lot, and then you can't smoke pot because you're a cop. They drug test you. You know, as much as I didn't like it, I'm not going to smoke pot and lose my gig. Um, And all of a sudden, comedy. I was on the homeless outreach bus making all these bums laugh. We used to call them clients. Because you can't say over the radio, yeah, bring up that smelly bum from Times Square. <laughs> we got a bag of bum bait sandwiches. Um, and one night, my partner, rest, God rest his soul, Mike Venkis, he passed away just recently. He said bum bait. <laughs> or bum chum out in Rockaway Beach. We called it bum chum. And guess why, dude? There was a, this is, I know when I, this is the blue wall of silence. So I'm going to break it. There was a quota. You had to get eight bums a night. There was a quota. And if it was below 32 degrees, you had to get 12 clients slash bums a night. But when you say you got to get them, you're basically going to bring them to a shelter so they can have a place to sleep indoors. Right. No, it's all voluntary. I'm saying you got to go down the subway and ask people. You got. What is it that you do? You talk to them. You say, listen, come with us. We'll get you a bed tonight. We'll we only would do that. We That's called work in a station. We would only work a station when we didn't have calls. Usually we had calls all night. We were the, we were the original Uber for bums. We were the Uber. <laughs> we would be in Yankee Stadium at eight at night. Dude, at midnight, we'd be at like a, a bank vestibule where four people got in, like homeless people to stay warm. Then we'd be in Rockaway Beach and it was all plain clothes except for the flea collar. It was a good gig. What? The what? Except for the flea collar. The flea collar. Hence, fleas. But watch this. So we would pick them up, and that was job security. You know what I mean? If we picked up three guys here, two guys there, five guys here, boom, we had our quota. We had our eight bodies for the night. Do you know what I mean? But you put them in a van. Put them in a van or a big bus, a city bus, and take them to the shelter. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm going to tell you something that no Hollywood writer could ever write, ever. We would get 10 or 15 clients. And you know what station we worked the most? Right at the base of the Twin Towers, right where that church was. The backside of some church, there was a subway station. And we would work that station. We'd get our eight or 10 bums. We would drive them. Oh, the sergeant would come, give us scratch. We'd say, hey, you know, we got the most clients right now. Come come now. We would drive the bums to the Fort Washington shelter in Harlem. And you're supposed to take them to the shelter, step inside and say, hey, H-O-U, transit, we have seven clients. Have a nice night. We would park right in front of the shelter. 
And then we would walk the clients right back down the subway, open up the gate and say, see you guys tomorrow night. And they would go right back in the subway. And each one of them had a little bag of bum bait with them, like a, a shitty sandwich and stale milk and a dented up peach. Uh, <laughs> but why, why did they prefer? Because uh, they, they, they didn't even like the shelters. Shelters are nasty. They rob each other. They were really getting on the bus. We became friends with them. They were getting on the bus for free cigarettes, free clothing the bum bait and helping us out. It was a big jerk session. They knew that some of them knew like the second Sergeant Clam Batson got off the bus. They were like, all right, guys, we'll see you tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like they, everybody knew the game. It's like when but, I used to pick up people to uh, for fillers in the lineup. Right. And I'd go to Ward's Island to grab them. Uh, well, not to grab them, but ask them if they want to be part of it. And then, you know, they get their 10 bucks afterwards. And then you want to drop them off. So you, I'm ready to bring them back to Ward's Island. They're like, no, no, we'll just get off over here, which was like 125th Street in Lexington. And I don't know where they all went after they were that $10, but they went. <laughs> they went Dude, it's funny. A lot of people don't know about that. We used to drop off certain clients at different shelters all around Manhattan. And people would run up, you know, uh, line up, line up, line up. They would think that they're going to get 10 bucks from us to do a lineup. Uh-huh. But we would give them food. Everyone in the unit liked homeless people. Because we weren't doing police work. We weren't doing car stops. You know, we went to calls that, you know, if a cop needed help, we were there. But other than that, you know, after we got our scratch, we were toes up, sleeping or hanging out at a comedy club. You know what I mean? And one of the guys in the unit named Willie Rodriguez retired as a lieutenant. He used to. Can we curse on this thing? Yeah, sure. He used to fuck the female homeless clients. And we used to go, Willie, that's disgusting. And he had the greatest answer in the history of the human race. He used to go, you never know what's under those nine ski coats. <laughs> Let me just give a little shout out to our, <laughs> our, our, our chatting people. Mimi, Cliff Yates is actually listening, Mark. Good. I know Cliff. Nico. Yeah, Cliff is great. He's MC Cliff, Jordan. the last time... Hold on. Last time I was supposed to do a gig with Cliff, he didn't show up. It's the one gig he missed in his whole life. He knows which one. Peter Pranzo, the legend, legend lieutenant from the 3-2. Gemma's Journey. Gemma's Journey, 12-step woman. You guys, anyone I mentioned who's not subscribed to us, please hit the button and subscribe to Police Off the Cuff on YouTube. We'd appreciate that. Here we are, Police Off the Cuff after hours. Continue, gentlemen. <laughs> So, so uh, I uh, so I did five years in Coney Island on the train, riding the train, and then I became Coney Island. Then when you get off the train patrol, you get a station or you get five stations and you work whatever hours. And um, Stillwell Avenue, Coney Island, where four trains stopped from four in the afternoon till midnight was my steady station for years. Stillwell Avenue, Coney Island, like the Warriors. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wanted to get back to Coney Island. Yeah. And guess what's the number one reason I took it? Because so when I had to defecate, I can go on a clean toilet right in the precinct. That was it. Or when you're on lunch, you could sit and watch Star Trek or, you know what I mean? You could sit in the precinct. You must have learned and, that from Skippy. So And, yeah. no, but and when you're right outside the command, it's like yeah, the rest of the 10-1, they need you to sit here and watch this. The rest to come in 10-1, you got to take a ride. Oh, I got, I was out on a on foot patrol, the rest of the 10-1 forthwith, whatever which one was come to the precinct. I run in. I go, what's the matter? They said, Vinnie Mosca and Vinnie Coco are in the RMP. And Vinnie Coco's wife just passed out. She's pregnant in Staten Island. 
and we go in case Vinny's going to go off duty. We go lights and sirens in a transit ice cream truck. If you remember those things, they were like a half-ass SUV. Lights and sirens on the Bell Parkway in the left lane. And there's an Indian cabbie doing like 70. And we're trying to do 90 and he won't move. And over, <laughs> I don't know how much we can say, but over the loudspeaker, one of the Vinnies was like, you you know, move it over, Haji. Move it over to the right, Haji. Haji, to the right. And he was saying way worse things than that. And it's going to kill me that I can't say exactly what he was saying. <laughs> this is like a comedy show, man. I'm sitting back here and enjoying these jokes. But it was uh, being right outside. And Coney Island, you know, a lot from the summer and a lot of holidays was a festive, fun place. You know what I mean? People, as much as you're in the subway with angry, ugly people that hate their life on a Sunday in the summer, everyone's coming to Coney Island to have a good time. You know what I mean? And then eight hours later, they're all leaving drunk out of their minds. And that's when, you know, stuff used to happen. Like all of a sudden I had to earn my money. Uh huh. You know but, what I mean? People were drunk and high. When did you start doing uh, comedy? I was on the home. Oh, that's what I was getting at. I was on the homeless outreach bus. I had about six years on the job. We were making the homeless people laugh every night. And my, my partner, Mike Venkis, was looking at the Village Voice and it said, Young comedians wanted, all you got to do is bring a couple of paying customers. And he looked at me and said, dude, this is what you should be doing. You should think about this. <laughs> and then I was like, because eh, I've been making excuses for years. I don't know where to go. I didn't, you know what I mean? I just stage yeah. fright. And then he said, John, look at this. There's a thing called a comedy class. And I'd never heard of such a thing. And like, finally, my mind opened up to like, wow, I could do this thing for eight or 10 times not in front of a crowd. I can kind of get my feet wet. And um, I lived in Harriman at the time. We moved from Long Island. I'm one of those schmucks that did the upstate drive for, uh, you know, good schools. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, it's like, you know, blizzards and no friends ever and seven tolls. So we lived in Harriman. I got off at six in the morning. I drove, my wife opened the front door. She had a crying infant in each arm. They were 11 months apart, a crying infant. And I said, I want to be a comedian. I want to take this class. It could take 10 years to make a dime. Obviously, I'm going to remain a cop. We got a good salary, but I want to give this a go. And there was a long pause. And she said, I want another baby. <laughs> she had an infant in each arm. I want another baby. And I said, you know what? If I got three kids, I got to try and look after and feed. And, a you know, I said, I got to have to make this work. I literally, I said, no problem. And uh, I joined the comedy class in June. And uh, Shannon was born like six months or a year later. And again, right out of this comedy class, like within weeks, I grabbed $50 here. I grabbed 100 here. I, gra I was like, you know, there was we money to be made. Early on? <laughs> what's that did you start off doing your cop material no i started off doing um you ride we hide i'm a transit cop and the theme yeah without a doubt right away because it's easy it's it's what happened that day it's you know basically right. the theme of my stand-up act right away was when you become you're told all of us everybody watching this show and especially us three are told you become a you get the badge the gun the pension the benefits bop 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 bop, bop. you really it's all set for you but no one tells you that it's $308 a week 
<laughs> You're going to work nights, midnights, holidays, subway, transit, smells like urine. Every one of your sergeants is a complete jack-off asshole <laughs> because they were beat up in high school. Bill then they were beat up. Then they were beat up on patrol and made fun of. And then they got their little tiny stripes. And now they were going to get even and make you wear your hat. You didn't have your hat on. <laughs> Did you have white socks on? I, and I hated being a transit cop so much. I used to get suspended like six times a year. When I look back, I'm, I had a lieutenant sit me down and go, dude, why don't you just quit? Uh-huh. You should quit. <laughs> why don't you quit? You're not happy here. I said, I got two infants at home. You know what I mean? But well, I, I, start, I started doing the open mics. I was in the same as you. The, the open mic circuit in New York City is a cesspool. It's a cesspool. And I always say pedophiles are nicer guys. Go ahead. Question. <laughs> well, if it, are you talking about? Well, that's an interesting thing you bring up because it, the open mics in New York City are very cliquish. So, for example, until you befriend everybody, if there's 25 people that signed up for this open mic, right? Um, you know, if I'm not friends with yours, I'm not going to watch your set. So, if you're brand, because there's so many people to watch that you're friends with, you got to sit there. So if you don't know somebody, you'll go by the bar. So if somebody's brand new, and now all of a sudden a room of 15, 20 people, you know, listening to your jokes, there's like nobody in there anymore. And you, you right. You know what I'm saying? There's, well, there's a few rules out here in LA. There's a few open mics <coughs> that you have to stay the whole hour. You have to support the rest of the room. But That's what happened to me was, here's another thing I didn't tell you guys. I went on duty as many as my, as much as my hours shifted and my commands. I went from the Bronx to Coney Island to Brooklyn to Manhattan. I really been around the block and the homeless outreach moved and we had to drive to different places. And for years we were in Tribeca right down the block from all these hip restaurants. And we watch this. The homeless outreach was the main lobby of a building that people lived upstairs. It was the craziest, weirdest setup. 181 Hudson. If anybody is out there listening and um, and all of a sudden, I just as I started, got out of the comedy class. Our, our command changed to Tribeca, Lower Manhattan, and we went on duty at 930 at night. And as Mark knows, every open mic is at eight or nine o'clock. So now I was like, boom, all I got to do is leave an hour early for work, get it set in on a cassette tape, tape it. And then that night. Go over it with my buddies and my cop buddies and literally critique it and make it funnier. So I got into a very good rhythm because well, of the time I started. Here's an interesting thing that I remember about you because we've worked together and I, you know, we did a show in Vegas together. You had your book with you and inside your book, you had exactly how many sets you've done since you first started. Bill, this really impressed me. I mean, John has, it was at that time, it might have been, I don't know, 12,000 or uh, there it goes. Look, that's the book. Holy shit. Every that's two nights ago. What number is that? I don't know. I can't see. Uh, let me put my glasses on. That's two nights ago. I'm looking for the number. Where's, no, I can't see the number. Right here. Can you see my face? 6,100. Oh, because I do it in a graffiti-like font. Yeah, 6, yeah. 6,184. Yeah. And look, this is book 159. Everywhere I look, dude, there's notebooks. Hold on, look. This whole room is stacked with notebooks. I'm like a weirdo. Here, look at this one. This one's a little beat up. So what number is this one? 
This is book 142. And then, right, I could look in there and see, like, I could literally look up into the night of 9-11. It's the you know most, what I mean? And what I did and what I said. It's the most amazing thing, Bill. I mean, when he told me that in Vegas and he goes, oh, this is my, uh, <laughs> it might have been like 3,656. And I was like, what? And he goes, well, no, look. And he, go, and he showed me. He showed me the book. And I was like, are you serious? And that is amazing the way that, well, I got let me just go backtrack one more thing, okay? I want to go way back a little bit. Well, not way back, but go ahead, dude. You're, you're so you're doing comedy, and and the homeless outreach, and I'm doing I'm going on. Go ahead. Right, writing this one man show, but there was a certain amount of aggression that you had because you didn't settle for just uh, doing your comedy and, and and doing the show. You wanted to pitch this thing. It was in a, it's so. Well, I can, uh, uh, well uh, let me tell you, that was a third party that because, again, I was just wanted to be a stand up that made money on the weekends and maybe, quote, got famous. But my br two brothers are in the toy business and they were working with a toy company that had an office in Manhattan who who invented a toy called Sky Dancer. When you pull the string, she had arms like a propeller and she would fly in the air and then come straight down. She looked like a ballerina with the wings. Long story short. They came to see me on set 72. So you saw last night, I did 6,184 at the fourth wall in North Hollywood on set 72 was a bringer show at Caroline's and it was packed with transit cops, their families, my in-laws, my, it was one of those nights where it all came together. And my opening joke set 72, I've been doing stand up about a year. I did 72 sets that first year. From the time I graduated the class, this is one year. And my opening joke, it just the timing was right. They, uh, I, I followed one or two people that weren't that funny. And I came out, I looked at the audience, I took a long pause, and I just said, I'm not having a good day. I tried that phone sex, and the receiver got stuck in my ass. <laughs> and then I let the joke land, and it got a bigger laugh and a bigger laugh, and it turned into an applause break. And here I am on stage 30 seconds. And it looks like I'm the king of the castle. Like it just worked. I don't even think I can take a longer pause now. And I've been doing it 25 years. It worked perfect. The whole set worked good. You ride, we hide, blah, 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 blah. And that night, my brother pulled me over and said, hey, the guys from the ballerina that flies company, the toy dancer, whatever it was, that have a little extra money, they want to do maybe a one-man show. They want to develop that theme of, once you become a civil servant, you think it's all done. You got your whole life set. Next thing you know, you're divorced. You're 30 years old, living in your old bedroom with your twisted sister posters. And your wife gets half your check automatically from one police plaza. They cut half of, you know what I mean? That was the theme. And this is a true story. I lived in Monroe or Harriman, one of those, you know, East Cupcake. And well, we had no long North, distance. North Cupcake. Yeah, North Cupcake. We were so broke that I had to call this company about my one man show that Mark thought that we all came right out of here. I had to call them from the payphone at grand union pumping nickels and dimes that I found in on the floor of the car. And that was the beginning of my one man show. And they said, Hey, keep banging it out on the weekend. Keep it personal. Keep it, you know, about the transit and the, the bah, 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 and dad's love of garage sales. And they sent me to acting school. Like we, we, like a kind of a group of us put together, 
that one man show. And then it became like, oh, wow, maybe this could be a sitcom. Like while it was being developed, the sitcom idea came out of that, if that makes sense. It makes sense. Um, you, a lot of your jokes also are about how how broke you were at the time when you had the kids and you were a transit cop. Um, I, and that's there's something, you know. You just fit all the bills at the time, like right now you're in good shape, but you were a chubby cop. You're a donor. Oh, well, watch this. The, the weight thing was <coughs> I tell everybody I graduated the police academy tomorrow, 34 years ago, tomorrow. That's December 18th. And on a footnote, December 16th, two days before I graduated the academy, my brother hit 22 brand new cars drunk driving. So my poor parents had one son handcuffed to a bed with a fractured skull in Far Rockaway, Queens, and the other son graduating 2,900 guys. I heard I was in the largest police academy class ever. 2,900 of us graduated tomorrow's date. And uh, the reason I bring up all those dates is I was in the fat squad. They used to weigh us in front, in front of everyone in our underwears to embarrass us in the police academy. And in the fat squad, I was 205. And here it is 34 years later, and today I was 201. But to answer, I was up there. I was up to as far as 260 at one point. Yeah, I had the big man tits. I had a fupa. But it was. it's funny, though, because, you know, regardless of what it is, it's, uh, you know, you fit the bill. You were chubby. Oh, I see what you're saying. Back then, oh, back then, the, just the whole package. It came together. It just, it, it all fit. Don't and watch this. Here, Mark, here's something you never thought about. The reason it got rolled into a sitcom so quickly, let me mention Kevin James, Ray Romano, Roseanne, blue collar sitcoms, buy their act, turn it into a sitcom. And if it hits, it's like printing money. Literally. Ed Burns told me that if you get on a hit show, whether you're the producer, the owner, the actor, the guy, it's like you have a money machine that prints money. So the studios, it's not that big of a gamble. We think it's the greatest thing ever, right? You know, it's, my life's going to change forever and ever. And I told a lot of people this. Having your own sitcom is not the greatest thing in the world, especially when it's not funny. I found it to be not funny. Joe Bottolamente, who was New York's, he came in second in our contest, and him and I are still buddies. He asked about a certain someone the other day named Mark DeMeo. He, that's you, right? Yeah. He uh, he said to me, he texted me, he said, hey, do you know Mark DeMeo? I said, yes, he's very funny. He's a good guy. And I think he was just curious that he found out you were a comedian. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. But but uh, this is let me go back 22 years. While the sitcom was up and running, this is how unfunny it was. Joe Bottolamente called me and said, do you have any idea how unfunny this fucking show is? I mean, I know you live out there. Everyone's telling you, ha, ha, ha. He goes, it has no redeeming value. <laughs> and it had my name on it, Duresta. My point is, I don't know what the point was. Well, but you know, you know, you, you bring up Joe's name, and when I first started comedy, I uh, I never mentioned that I was a police officer because I wanted to keep the two worlds separate. Oh, see, no, I went right in for it, for because I yeah, thought it was different. I just didn't. I, I just didn't trust that. Uh, the, I thought maybe they might make me stop. You know what I'm saying? The job. No, I researched a little bit. You know who got fired? Ralph Murphy. Do you know Ralph? No. Ralph Murphy is a New York City cop and comedian that got fired for being a comedian. But you you finish your story and I'll tell you Ralph's. Well, you know, I used to, the comics knew, you know, because obviously they're my friends. 
They knew I was a cop. Right. So they'd always go, do you know uh, Joe Baglament? Uh, I'm not saying his name right. Baglamente. Baglamente. I, I may have met him in passing. Uh, um, if he if he just asked like that, it, maybe not. But I always heard, <laughs> I heard praises about him and I heard praises about you. And um, it's funny because then there was this big gap. Like, uh, since I wasn't talking about being a cop, I did comedy for 15 years and never mentioned that I was a cop. Wow, I never knew that. See, I always, I knew that great opening joke about meet the family. No. You yeah. know what, somebody, I, I in New York Comedy Club, it might have been, <coughs> I had seen you for the first time. I remember that. I walked, but I was saying, someone leaned over to me and goes, this guy's a cop. I go, I mean, I know everybody that's a cop that's a comedian. And you had the long hair. You look like a rapist. <laughs> but... And, and with that, I remember that night too, but when I retired, that's when I had the, and I wanted to do the one man show, which I did called 20 and out. Um, but I basically, I followed your path. Do you know what I'm saying? You right. were like somebody that, that I said, okay, this is what he did. It was successful. I'm going to do that. And that's what I did. I wrote the one man show. I put it in the fringe festival. I, I toured with it. Um, and I might bring it back, um, you know, with obviously some additions. But it's um, I just wanted to say that, that, you know, I followed, I've, you know, you've always been somebody that I followed your path. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that, bro. Like I said, I uh, I had a lot of help with production, uh, you know, with these producers that helped put it together. And then there was a press person, you know, what what looked as organic as it did. You know, it was orchestrated. And it was orchestrated right into a humongous legal battle when it turned into a sitcom. I've had every peak and every valley in this business. You can't imagine. Um, well, but how long, uh, ra- how long did the sitcom run for? Seventeen episodes, which isn't a bad run, but it's, it became the low. It became the lowest rated sitcom in the history of TV um, on a network, quote unquote. And um, like I said, it was a, it was kind of as much money as I'm making. Everyone thinks it's the greatest thing. Um, it was kind of an unfun process because the name of the show was Duresta <laughs> and it didn't have my vibe. You know, I, I, I've realized that my woodworking how shows. Showrunner, how did that work out? Why didn't you have control? Uh, of the- uh, you have control of very little. Very, I mean, I could tell you in detail from from contractually to the real deal. Like most people think because the sitcoms named Duresta that it's my sitcom. But yeah. that big chunk, that, that big chunk of money up front is what pays for the rights to my life. No, I get you, but I'm just saying, if the showrunner is smart, he's going to pull you in, and he's going to be like, "Talk to me. What should we do?" No, he and it exactly didn't. You know how many times I was in the writers' room on my own sitcom once, and that was to tell them we had the lowest rated sitcom in the history of TV about ten episodes in. Well, that's why it didn't work. It didn't work. It, there was no vibe between him and I. No vibe. He was jammed down my throat. And, uh, you know, I, as police consultant and, you know, you, if you have if you have a resource, use it. it was, yeah, no, there was. Guess what? I don't know if this is public knowledge. Do you know why they say Seinfeld hit so much? Why? Because Seinfeld would bring in out of work, broke comedians, guys that were just misfits that he knew was hysterically funny. Uh-huh. <laughs> And him and Larry David would pay them to write the silliest thing that's ever happened to you on the subway. The silliest thing that's ever happened to you on Christmas vacation. The silliest, stupid thing you ever saw at a bar mitzvah. And they put this stuff in the show. As compared to, on my sitcom, I had nine guys that all wrote for six other shows that were like 
you know, and we know you're a cop from New York that worked in the subway and did 6,000 sets, but I was nominated for an Emmy for Mark and Mindy. Yeah. I mean, that's the attitude you're dealing with. You know what I mean? Like the, uh, in the pilot episode, I had like a $900 leather coat. And I said to the director, dude, I used to wear a jacket that I bought for 50 cents from a garage sale year in and year out. And I go, now you have me in a $900 leather coat. And, you know, he said, eh, no one's going to notice. And then I said, bop, bop, bop. And I said, that's not the way I talk. And eh, no one's going to notice. And, uh, no, and guess what? Everyone yeah. noticed. Yeah. especially Joe Badalamente when he called and said it has no redeeming value. Yeah. But Do you, you know, understand? <laughs> did it, even though you just had the one season on the show, next thing you know, you're in Miss Congeniality, which was a, a blockbuster movie. But Miss Congeniality still pays four times a year. Residuals four times a year, 20 years later. That's the one. I mean, uh, and dude, I went from my own sitcom, and I don't know if you know this, right before the sitcom started, I did The Tonight Show. I'm the only comedian in 90 years of The Tonight Show that did couch on his first instance and then auditioned to do stand-up 10 other times and didn't pass. My first and only time on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, I was a panel guest. I oh. sat down with Jay, uh, Jay Leno, and he said, were you really a New York City transit cop only six weeks ago? <laughs> And I said, look at me. That was the setup. The audience started laughing. I got cop hair, three chins, no neck, man tits. I got a fupa. I got a fat up a pussy area. And I'm a man. Then the sitcom went down and Caroline's called and said, hey, the sitcom, they thought the sitcom was still on the air. So Caroline's had me on, uh, had me do a weekend for a lot of money. And they got me on the Howard Stern show. And right before Caroline's Greg Charles, great guy, called me and said, the only way you're going to be on the Howard Stern show to promote your Caroline's thing is you have to talk about having the lowest rated sitcom in the history of TV. If you're not willing to talk about giving up your pension and this thing turning so horribly, Howard Stern and Baba Bohai don't want you on. Uh -huh. I said, no problem. I said, you got me. I did Howard Stern and killed. Howard Stern is my idol. Howard Stern is a living legend. And to kill on Howard Stern is one of the greatest things I ever did. Not only did I kill, he said, hey, John, you're kind of funny. Do you want to stay for the next segment? I go, what is it? He said, to judge six girls that want to be in Playboy. And I, I died and went to heaven, not because of the girls, because my zing is. When they're inviting you to zing someone's personal appearance. And, and then watch, here's a funny story. We went to break. So now John DeRest is staying for another segment. All right, everybody, we're on a break, six minutes. I said, Howard, I just want to tell you, you're my idol. You are, you're my idol. I said, I love you so much. And I'm looking him right in the eye. I said, I love you so much that I have two cats named Howard Stern and Robin. And it's a true story. And he goes, oh, that's cool. Do you still have them? I said, nah, they became a pain in the ass. So I set them free in Middletown. I put them in a cooler and I set them free at a Burger King. And he goes, oh, my God, what'd you tell the kids? I said, I told, it's a true story. I said, I told them they left the door open and the cats ran away because of them. And Howard Stern goes, oh, my God, that's horrible. And all of a sudden, Baba Booey goes, that whole story was on the air. That whole story was on the air about John DeResta setting his cats free at Burger King. That's a true story. My kids' pets, I set them free at Burger King in Middletown because I got sick of them. 
and their names were Howard Stern and Robin. Oh, and guess what I did? I did two shows that night at Caroline's with Steve Marshall, my buddy. You know Steve? Everybody that you're talking about. I know Greg Charles. I love him. Uh, I know so, so watch this. I get on an overnight radio show. The guy died. Maybe he's really ugly. Hannity and Combs, Joe Combs, Pete Combs, David Combs. We do an overnight radio show. John DeResta, Jimmy DeResta, my brother, Steve Marshall, Tina Georgie, comedian and school teacher, the host, Larry Combs, whatever the fuck his name was. And guess who the final Alan, guest is? Alan Combs. Alan Combs. Guess who the final guest was? Bernard Getz. What's up? Subway Vigilante. I wrote the greatest joke in the history of the world. On air, I shook his hand. I said, hey, um, Bernard, I just want to tell you, you did more for subway safety in 12 seconds than I did in 12 years. <laughs> hey, you want to hear a funny story for you people at home? Do you want to explain to them who uh, Bernard Getz was? Because I have this real story of what went down that night. I'm the only guy on earth that knows what happened on that train. Do you want to tell your audience? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'll tell you, Bernie Getz was a subway rider. Uh, what year was it? 84. Chambers. 1984. Chambers on the two. <laughs> and a group of kids came up to him and asked him for $5. And he said, I don't have $5. And they, they said, give me $5. So then he took out his gun and he shot him all. And then to one of them, he goes, you look like you're okay. And he shot him one more time. Right. You, you're, you look okay. Here's another. So none of them got killed. Uh, one is in a wheelchair. <clears throat> Did you know that? Yeah. One was paralyzed. Okay. So we all know the story that they circled them. They had a screwdriver. That was their weapon. So it's literally at like two in the morning, three in the morning. He goes, I'm going to go downstairs and catch a cab. And the radio show is over. And I said, hey, can we give you a ride? My brother had this big Mercedes Benz. And we're going to drive Bernard Getz in front of the comedy stores. And we're going to go, you know, the, the comedy seller. We're going to show everyone on earth, Colin Quinn. And we're going to find David Tell. And we're, we're with Bernard Getz. John DeRest is with Bernard Getz. Like he was a star. So we're waiting for the elevator. It's dead silent. And I said to Bernard, if you don't mind me asking, can you tell me what went down that night? And Bernard Getz goes just like this. Well... I was on the train and five black guys surrounded me with a screwdriver. So I shot him. And he had this look in his eyes that he was looking for trouble where everybody remember the controversy was, should he shot him? Should he not shot them? And it looked like he got a kick out of shooting him. Except, you know, something he was never indicted. No, he only went to, he got a, a gun charge. Weapons possession. Yeah. That was but the thing was, these those kids that surrounded them, they were all bad, bad kids from Brooklyn. They all had rap sheets, and all of them wound up in prison except the guy who got paralyzed. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, oh, here's a great comedy story. So I I got good money. <coughs> I get Howard Stern, Bernard Getz. I headlined all weekend at Caroline's. And uh, a couple that met on my one-man, their first date was my one-man show came back to Caroline's to the green room and said, we've been married for years because of your one man show. There's been a lot of stuff like that. And, um, uh, I did the Sunday night show at Caroline's, which as a comedian was the most relaxed. I kind of, I was a little bit uptight. This is Caroline's. I'm the headliner. And, you know, the Sunday night I wore more loose clothing. I just had more fun on Sunday night. I felt that 
okay, I kind of went through like, again, I can explain each show, but the Sunday night show was the funnest with Steve Marshall's direction. Thank God for him. But I go back and Monday night on Sunset Boulevard, I auditioned to be a regular at the comedy store after I just done Howard Stern, headlined Caroline's, bop, 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 bop. I do three minutes at the comedy store. And uh, what's that lady's name? She Mitzi. fails me. Mitzi Shaw. She, Mitzi Shaw says, uh, eh, I don't want to imitate. I don't want to be rude. Where are you going? I'm not done. What are you going to the bathroom like the quarterback? No, I just had to shut the sound off. Would you go over there to fart? No, the alarm was going to go off, so I shut it off. No, so Mitzi Shore uh, failed me on that Monday. I eventually passed, but just it's a funny footnote that, um, you know, you do all this stuff in New York, get back to L.A., and you're just another scrub waiting online. Like, the, the, the clubs are not connected. One has they, one doesn't care what you did. The one just there's no. It's right crazy. Watch this. When I did again, not to 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 reiterate the Tonight Show, but I did the Tonight Show, and I said to a friend of mine, "Now I do Letterman." Right? I literally thought when you did one, you did the other, and I had no idea that you know one thinks of this of you of you know what I mean. Yeah. There's no unlike civil service. There's no ranking you know what i mean there's no you dig what i mean but now you're in la and you're right in, 22 years no but i'm saying back then you you get to la you leave the job behind uh you do the 17 weeks it's done now what i had a little bit of money in the bank and i got i i took on a, a big rental i took on two i i was living like a black guy with a hit record <laughs> I was living like someone who had a sitcom that was in the top 20. I had a sitcom. And this is a true story. The newspaper out here used to rank one through 100 every week. And every week I was 98, 99, 100 in primetime. 98, 99. Telemundo was 95, 96. And I was 100. And I even had an accountant at the time and said, he said, dude, you're living like you got a hit show. You don't have a hit show. Uh -huh. you, there's only so much money that... Because things were, things were coming in. I, and <laughs> I thought when you do a one-man show on 42nd Street and it hits, then you get a, the Tonight Show and it hits, and then you get your own sitcom and it hits, and then you kill on Howard Stern. I thought, I just thought I was climbing the ladder. Um, and then I got very lucky. So the sitcom ended, and about three weeks later, I get a call to audition. Even when I was on Howard Stern, he said, well, now your show is done. What are you doing? I said, I just had an audition to be in a movie with Robert De Niro called 15 Minutes. That's That was on the Howard Stern, March of 99. April, May, I auditioned like seven times for this part in the movie 15 Minutes. And every time I went in, that guy's from Goodfellas. That guy's from CSI. That guy was in Godfather. So I didn't think I was going to get it. And little by little by little, it came down to like four of us that were going to read with Ed Burns. I was playing, looking to play Ed Burns's partner. So again, I had a little money in the bank. I had, to, you know, I was on a, on my own sitcom and now I'm auditioning. And here's the greatest thing ever. And I had a dream about him last night. Ed Burns and I went to the same high school. Ed Burns and I had the same circle of friends, but I never met him. He was four years younger than me. So my brother knew him. We had the same group of friends. My best friend is Sean O'Rourke. Sean O'Rourke's best friend from Catholic school was Ed Burns. 
So here it is. And I had sent Ed Burns a you psycho know, letter. You know who Ed Burns' father is? Yes, he was in the NYPD right. media. But did you know him? He worked in DCPI. And his mm-hmm. father was like famous with all the journalists and stuff. And I think that's sort of what helped him get a little bit connected in show business. Yeah, I'll tell you. So I went into Reed. Oh, I had sent a psycho letter years before. Do you guys know what the psycho letter is? Hey, put me in your movies. I'm an actor. We grew up together. You know, like I sent it to his dad's address, the dad you just spoke about. You know, like a mutt. I'm like a Rupert Pupkin over here in my balls, chasing after the guy. So I was embarrassed to meet Ed, but I want to be in the movie with Ed. Ed walks in in Santa Monica in this little beach house, and I knew he was coming. And um, I he he walks up and he goes, John DeResta. You know, he's got a high-pitched voice. He sticks his hand out and shakes it. And I go, Ed, I just want to say I'm sorry. I sent a letter to your dad. I'm not a psycho. I'm not. And he goes, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. I never saw it. So here I was worried for five or seven years that I was going to meet Ed. And I sent the psycho letter. And the next thing he says is, holster that weapon. That was a joke about a girl's nose on Howard Stern. And we busted out laughing. He had listened to my whole Stern thing and memorized all my zingers. You know, not memorized them all, but had five or six. And we shook hands and he smiled at me and he goes, I'll see you inside. Like, he kind of gave me a look like, dude, you know, we're already, he's already repeating my jokes. And then once we got in the room, I was like, you know, Sean O'Rourke, you know, Heather Nicosia, you are my brother, you remember my brother? Like we, and I literally saw the director sit back and go like this. So I got into the movie 15 Minutes with Ed Burns and Robert De Niro. And then uh, I had a quick one here, one or two quick, funny De Niro stories. Um, Every single night. And again, let me clarify, I'm not an extra. I was Ed's co-star partner, whatever, in the movie. And I'm watching a Robert De Niro movie every single night to do my homework. And the next day I'd say, hey, I watched Rupert Pumpkin. Hey, I watched, you know, whatever. So he's sitting all alone in a Chinese restaurant, completely empty, over in the corner. No matter where we were in the world, we were in California. He always reads the Daily News and the Post. And he's all the way in a corner reading <laughs> he's reading the new york post in california in a chinese restaurant and i shuffle up and he goes yeah how you doing i said good i go look i'm doing my homework i'm watching one of your movies every night he goes yeah I am. You told me. goes back to reading the paper i go well, i watched ronin last night ronin with the car chases in italy and everyone's after the metal case and i go look you got to tell me what was in the metal case the whole movie they don't tell you i go what was in the metal case and he goes, how the fuck do I know? And he goes right back to reading the newspaper. It was the funniest thing. If you ever see Ronan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, it, it was like, yeah, they gave me my nine million. John, I didn't even go to the John, premiere. I don't, I don't. What are you busting my balls? John, let me ask you a question. I'm not gay. No, do you even know my name? Bill Cannon. Oh, I'm fucking, I'm shocked. Because you haven't shut the fuck up for an hour straight. You're in like, my balls. Wound up like a fucking like a doll. In my balls. Like I'm a transit fucking, cop. Like that doll, the woman doll you were talking about. Shut the fuck up for a minute. In my balls. What were you housing? What are you? No, NYPD homicide. <laughs> when did you retire? 2011, October 2011. Oh wait, then when did you go in? Uh, January 21st, 1985. Oh, okay. So you were. I did almost a year before me. What precinct? I was in Manhattan North Homicide my last 10 years. I was a sergeant. Nice. Where did you do the foot patrol? Like I in started early out days. on the Upper West Side, and then I wound up 
in the two two o two four two six. Then I went to uh, street crime, and then I went to uh, the two four when I got promoted sergeant, and then I went to the two three in Spanish Harlem, and then I went to homicide. My last ten years. There was a guy in my company who was in the dirty thirty who got fired for being some kind of criminal. Would you happen to know him? George Nova. Yes, he was a dirty motherfucker, that guy. He was in my police academy class. He sat next to me. Didn't he, like, order somebody to get killed? Yeah, he was one of the dirtiest, that guy. He was, I think he went to prison. I heard he went to prison, too. That's crazy. Yeah. Yep. There was a guy in my company sat next to Nova was another guy. You know how they'll put, like, a feelers out to get you to join the department but even you might be from like the gay community or like you're not really you don't know about cops per se so fred welch sat next to nova fred welch was a six foot six black guy and the first day i think i told you you guys are gonna be working nights weekends holidays so you're gonna have an exciting career and without missing a beat big black guy raises his hand and says we have to work nights and weekends <laughs> And holidays. He had no idea he had to work nights, weekends, and holidays. It was the funniest thing. <laughs> but you're in LA now, right? And right. Uh, just like New York, um, there's a lot of people moving out of LA. Uh, crime is up over there. Do you feel anything? Um, there's a lot of lot, a lot of homeless encampments. I mean, like like you can't believe. And now they're coming to my neighborhood, like a lot. And here's something you guys probably don't know about. A DA got elected in, in law, law uh, let's say Long Island, in Los Angeles, got elected last month. That's come out with the sickest, craziest, this is no longer illegal, this is no longer illegal, and we're gonna look out for the criminals. And he legitimately said all over the news that resisting arrest is no longer a crime so not only have people started to move out there's a lot of speculation that if this da doesn't get recalled and he stays that crime's going to go through the roof um so i've noticed a little bit of it but i can't stand cold weather anymore i, I it's like i can't move back i can't i can't even look at snow you know what snow looks like to me we got an it abortion it looks like an abortion we got it today we got it today we're buried today I can't even look at it. It looks like a car accident. <laughs> There's so many homeless people now in L.A. Do you ever feel like getting the van out and just picking up, getting some? I, 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 well, it's funny you say that, bum bait. It's bum. funny you say that because my wife's a fantastic cook. And whenever I say my prayers to win lotto, um, I don't know if you guys say prayers to win lotto, but I always do every night. And when I say my prayers to, lot, to, to win the lotto, I always promise to God that I'll set up a whole series of vans uh, an outreach called Hollywood Homeless, and we would help the homeless. So yes, uh, you know, I, I try and stay away because most of them are psychos. But you know, I'll give a guy a dollar here, a dollar there, food. Like right now, tonight, we have a whole bunch of leftover chicken, and my wife said, "What do you want me to do with it?" And it's raw. And I was nice enough to say, "Just give it to me raw." These bums will eat it, right? <laughs> They're hungry. It's protein. Did you think about moving? Um, I could never move back. Whenever someone asks me that, I always, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm open to anything, but, but here's the deal. I make pretty good money as a woodworker, but it's taken me 22 years to build up a clientele. You know what I mean? But if I got up and left and went to Phoenix or 
somewhere else, I could still build stuff and sell it pretty quickly. But um, also, you got to remember, I have three kids in their late 20s. So if I have any grandkids, I don't want to be too far away. And uh, I think you have a couple of kids, you know, it's, it's as old as they get, they still need their father around. You know what I mean? I'd rather I'd rather be close than, you know, 500 miles away, you know, and watch this. I think you guys know this, but let me reiterate it to your listeners. People go, you don't miss New York. You don't miss the weather, change your weather. Like you don't miss like Christmas when it's like, like 12 below. You don't miss that. The change of seasons. And I say, you know what the change of seasons can do? They could suck my cockroach. It's 80 and sunny. 365 days. Weather is not even a concern. To wear a jacket is not even a concern. And... It's one less thing to worry about, the weather. And on top of it, we buy marijuana in a store. We don't buy it at a gas station from a guy named Hector on a 10-speed bicycle. We buy it in a store. And there's I live in North Hollywood, if you guys know anything. There's more pot stores than there are Starbucks. There's two pot stores next to each other. Can you imagine when the one opened and the next guy's like, hey, how you doing, guys? What are you going to be selling? Eh, pot. <laughs> yeah, and well, hold on. Legalized it. What's that? New Jersey, Jersey legalized it. But to, to the, get to the point where you could just walk in off the street with no license is going to be, you know, it's going to be a long time. We've been doing it for, you know what I'm saying? We've been doing it for a long time. And there's no humidity, dude. Humidity is, is for saps. I, I suffer from arthritis. Bill just got his hip replaced. He's got a bum shoulder from playing football. Uh, you know, so the the winter, you know, I, I feel the storm coming. Oh, no. Really? Yeah, I feel it in my knees and my elbows, everything. I'm like, why do? I, how come I don't want to get out of bed? And it's, I'm like, oh, the storm's coming. I could feel it. Well, it rains here twice a year, and I could feel the rain coming huh. in my balls. <laughs> that's where I could feel the rain coming in my balls. Dude, I can't take, if it goes below 58, uh, I'm like, I'm like freezing in the corner, like a maggot. I'm a maggot. You gotta, you know what? I just want to go back to one point. We were talking about comedy before. You're talking about that pause that you took after uh, a joke and, and Bill's a comic as, as well. Oh, I did not know that. Okay, Bill. Six yeah. years, six Very years funny. in. <laughs> All right. Are you not being funny tonight on purpose? No, <laughs> holy shit. That's a zinger. That's what we call a zinger in Long Island. You have to get back to me. That's a zinger. One thing, I don't write down my sets the way you do in the book, but I do take chances. I started taking chances with, with pauses. Yeah, and dude. It's, it's an amazing thing uh, when you, how far you can go with it. Like, you know, when you... Yeah, and also you could test it. It's fun. It's fun. It's an eat. Watch this. And Bill, I'm going to tell you this as your comedy coach. I'm going to volunteer now to be your comedy coach because I had because I zinged you. <laughs> every single night or every other night or however you often you do sets, you, you get to test stuff and it's free. There's no heavy lifting. All of us have had real jobs where we had to lift stuff or stand in security. Remember, and you guys ever work security for ten dollars an hour in Harlem. You got to check your bag. You got to check. Why well, I got to check my bag, motherfucker? 
We've all done that to do stand up and to taper. I can't believe every night I work with guys and they don't audio or videotape. I go, Bottle of Mente, if Bottle of Mente listens to this, which he will, mm-hmm. he called me once and said, You really think you should tape every set? I said, Joe, part of the reason I do the set is to review it. Like, in other words, it's not just to make these schmucks laugh that is sitting in front of me, it's to go, Oh, drop a word here, add a pause there. Oh, if I smirk, I can get away with saying something nasty. But you can't know that if you just do a set and go home. I mean, you could memorize, you could remember 10% of it, but here's 110% in your phone. You uh, Are you doing video recording now? I always videotape every set on the phone. And it fills my phones up. But I not only do I tape them, I go over them. I, I got to admit, I had a set last week. I okay. Took the edge off and did the set, and it didn't go that. It was only five minutes, but I, my brain wasn't connected to my mouth. It was one of those where within 30 seconds you go, yi why did I come here tonight? And I didn't watch that set back. But if I did, it's probably not as bad as I thought. And there was one or two. There's always something on each set that you went, oh, that'll work next time. Always. Or, you know, or it's a new bit, you know what I mean? Or it's the beginning of a new bit. So uh, we, we've been uh, go. We're over an hour right now, Bill. Hour and fifteen, I think we're at. You want to do a shout out to anybody who was listening? I know yeah, we got. Sure. Uh, yeah, which we just we just started going live on YouTube, and we're trying to build up our uh, subscribers, and we have live <laughs> chatters here. Uh, well, look at this. We got a, we got a bunch. Twelve step woman, thank you. So, retired Sergeant Melinda, uh, Peter Pranzo, of course. Mimi J two. Um, some needless to say, if you're not a subscriber, please subscribe. We also have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com, police off the cuff, uh, MC's audio, um, Nick O. I, if I missed anyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, John DeRest is a, a great comic. Uh, Thank you, man. Funny, funny I'll be guy. back anytime. Are we done? You know, I want to. I'm say not. John, I just got one, started. John, I haven't started other, talking about my cock yet or my balls. John, one other thing. You know, San Francisco has an even worse DA than L.A. They got the guy whose mother was one of the Brinks robbers, aye, Catherine aye, Bowden, aye. and aye, her aye, son aye. is a San Francisco DA. I mean, you can't make this shit up. Catherine Bowden was given a job as a professor at Columbia University. Her and her crew killed two cops in Rockland County about 30 years ago. There, watch this. There's a, uh, there's a, just to make a little connection, there's a professor at Columbia in Manhattan, and his name is John DeResta. And it's not me. Thank you. <laughs> it's crazy the way the world is flipped. Unbelievable. Um, especially, you know, from where we come from, to just bring it all the way back around. You know, the world that we grew up in, uh, you know, as cops and just in New York City. And we tolerated uh, and we, we uh, you know, we fought crime. We, we did all these things, right? But it was a different world. You know what I'm saying? And now uh, you didn't have, uh, maybe you did and we weren't paying attention, but you didn't have people who are mayors that <laughs> were directly connected to somebody who, you know, killed two cops. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a different world now. Yeah, it, it makes me super sad. And I'll tell you a quick, this is not in the news. This is nothing. There's a comedian 
who on he I guess I'm Facebook friends with him. I don't know. He lives in Tennessee. He lived in L.A. for a while and he moved somewhere else. And he has got this vi- video is 15 minutes of him holding up a camera, like really busting a cop's balls for pulling him over. You know, really? Yeah, I got my rights. Blah, 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 blah. And out of the 600 comments. Every single one of them agreed with the guy where if you watched it or Bill watched it or I watched it or Bob Lamente watched it. We'd be like, this guy's a douchebag. The cop pulled him over because he had whatever tail. You know what I mean? Like, I couldn't believe that every single person agreed that it was okay to treat this cop like a piece of shit. And it makes me super, super sad. You know, someone asked me about Trump. Someone asked me about Trump winning or losing the other day. Oh, my doctor. And I said, you know what? The one good thing about Trump losing is that there's not going to be riots where poor cops that are 25 years old are going to get their eyes burnt out with lasers or they're going to hit with a hammer or get piss poured on them. You know what I mean? This is my plumber, Sebastian, (laughs) the plumber. (laughs) Well, on that note, (laughs) tell Sebastian, the plumber, that uh, he's Oh, look at that. Fucking, and they're off. That's a tin cup. But anyway, hey, real quick. Also, the New York accent had a value. I don't know if you guys know that. My, uh, you know, I'm just saying, if, you, if we all continue on in this path of what we want to do, my voice is in three Steven Spielberg movies. I'm in Catch Me If You Can, um, The Terminal, and War of the Worlds. I'm in a loop group. Do you know what a loop group is? That, that was one of my favorite movies. Which one? Catch Me If You Can. What you doing there? Uh, I think uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is running through a train station in uh, like in, in up near you uh, in, in Scarsdale or what's another name up there? A Mayo Harrison, Pack. Harrison. One of those. Go, go back and watch the movie. And as Leo, as I like to know, him, as Leo is running through a train station and I guess Tom Hanks might be chasing him. You hear. Uh, next stop is uh, the Bronx. Says next stop, uh, my south. Uh, my, it's me in the background. That's all. It's me as the you know. That's no, I get disqualified from every role I audition for because of my New York accent. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's what I'm saying. It 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 cuts both ways. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd Maybe rather have one Western that... douchebag to do this one. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, but thank you guys for having me. I'll, I'll come back anytime. You're great man, you were excellent. Thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, hey, listen, uh, to all our fans out there, man, please check out the Patreon, Police Off the Cuff, uh, at patreon.com. Uh, thank you, John, for sitting down with us tonight. And Great uh, hair. Had, uh, yeah. This Bill, was- and Bill in, the, in the hair department, he's winning. Uh, he's I don't know who's funnier. Well, he's, but- he's over 10 years younger than me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you know what though? If you come to New York City, Bill's on the side of every bus. He's got an ad that I runs uh, for Monroe College, <laughs> he, and he looks so handsome in it. That was a so long he time ago. Time He's got an ad called "Living with HIV." <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care. All right, thank, thank you guys. guys. Thank, thank you. Tom. Thank you for coming on. Signing off. <laughs>